Hello, this is Rabbi Mark Soloway. Welcome to A Dash of Drush, weekly reflections on our world through the lens of Torah. We have no idea what that coat was, the coat that Jacob gave to his beloved son, Joseph. We imagine it, many of us, as a technicolored dream coat, but that's because of Andrew Lloyd Webber, not because of the Torah. The Hebrew is katonet pasim, a coat of palms. Maybe it was describing its length, or what it was made out of, or its beauty. Not sure what color it was, but it seems very likely, it seems very likely that it was full of different threads. And I want to weave together some threads, <laughs> because as we start this Joseph cycle of stories, which always coincide with the coming of Hanukkah, there are lots of threads that are just so intriguing to me, threads in the language of the Torah that are kind of woven into that coat because that coat becomes such a symbol. Its gift, the giving of that coat, is the apparent cause of the jealousy of the brothers because it was a a gift that only Joseph got. And then from that place of feeling special and different, Joseph perhaps has these dreams and then he goes off on his journey and then he confronts an ish in the field, a man in the field who apparently according to our tradition is actually the angel Gavriel who says what are you looking for young man and Joseph says I'm looking for my brothers I'm trying to find my brothers and he says they went that way this man who is mysteriously present in the story pointing out the way and then Joseph finds his brothers and they see him coming and they plot to get rid of him because they're so uh, so jealous They're consumed with jealousy. And then the coat comes back to Jacob, covered in blood. This beautiful coat, whatever it was made out of, is now covered with an animal's blood that that Jacob assumes to be Joseph's blood and that he's been ravaged by a wild animal. And so the threads of the language, the linguistic threads that I want to weave briefly here are what happens once that coat is held up in this act of deception by the brothers who hold it up knowingly they don't know what's happened to Joseph but they have killed an animal and put its blood on the coat and they hold it up deceiving their own father and say hakena they use the the Hebrew hakena which is an imperative form which says please recognize this coat, Dad, please recognize this coat. And Jacob says, yes, it's the, it's the coat of uh, Yosef. It's Joseph's coat. And he immediately, according to the outward meaning of the, of the Torah, immediately goes into mourning and, and rips his, his, his garment an act of kriya, of tearing a garment, which is a traditional mourning symbol that comes from this parsha, like an outward tear to to uh, mirror the the in the inner tear within his heart. 
And then it says, He refused to be comforted. He was so struck by grief that he refused to be comforted. So two phrases, Hakerna and Vyama'ain, which come back in the same Parsha. And perhaps in subtle and intricate ways through the angel Gabriel who is pointing out the direction is helping us piece these threads together because later on in this Parsha we have the extraordinary side story in a way of Yehuda and Tamar. And Yehuda, the brother whose name I spoke about a couple of weeks ago as being about thanksgiving, because when his mother Leah names him, he's day like this idea of giving thanks. Yehuda has been absolutely complicit in this act of deception to his father, and now is engaged in this this complicated story with his two sons and and no no offspring and and uh, and Tamar twice twice a widow his uh, you know Yehuda's daughter-in-law who disguises herself as some kind of cultic uh, prostitute and Yehuda sees her and assumes her to be such and enters into this bargaining process to sleep with her or to lay with her and then the whole the whole thing of course ends up with her being being pregnant and then when Yehuda sees her pregnant is immediately uh, about to to accuse her and potentially have her have her put to death for what he assumes to be an act of harlotry but in that process of negotiation um Tamar has demanded an eravon an eravon which is a pledge but such an interesting word which also we're going to weave into this fabric of the coat and the Torah. Eravon is like a, a pledge, but the, the, the root is all connected to responsibility. And later on, that word is going to come back in a very, or that root is going to come back in a very stark way, as Yehuda himself becomes an Eravon for his, for his baby brother Benjamin. So many threads being woven here. But that pledge here is a, a seal and, and a wrap and a staff. A seal and a wrap and a staff. And so Tamar, who is on the point of being accused and potentially put to death, without shaming, and this is very important and the commentator Rashi brings this uh, idea that from this we get how important it's not to shame anybody in public. Tamar holds up the objects and says, Hakerna, exactly the same phrase as, as the brothers used with their father. Hakerna, recognize. Recognize these things. And Yehuda immediately sees what's, what's going on and recognizes something so much deeper than just the physical objects that are being held up. Threads, hakerna, hakerna. What are the brothers really saying to their father? And what is Tamar really saying to Yehuda? 
Yehuda, who is such an important figure, Yehuda and, and Yosef, in a sense, are seen as, as such um, parallel characters. Yehuda. And by the way, this Hodah is, is about thanksgiving, but it's also going to be about acknowledgement. There's something that he acknowledges about himself in this story. So he has been, as I said, complicit in this horrible act of deceit that has led to the despair and brokenness of his father, Jacob. And now he is being offered an opportunity to see something in a much deeper way and to see his own, his own sense of, of complicity. Aviva Zornberg, Dr. Aviva Zornberg, an incredible um, Torah scholar, in, in her book, the, the Beginning of Desire, Reflections on Genesis, she, she says about this hakerna, hakerna, and, and the arev, the, the, the pledge. And there's, there's some kind of way in which um, she suggests this hakerna, its pleading form, she says, acknowledges Yehuda's freedom to accept or reject the symbolic displacement of the objects Tamar holds out to him. She will not force his hand. There's something about, even though it's, a, it's, a, it's an imperative form or a pleading form, as she says, as Viva Zornberg says, there's something, there's something about a moral choice that Yehuda has to make. And as soon as he makes that moral choice, he is changed and transformed. And so later on in the, in the story, spoiler alert, later on in the story when he stands before his brother Joseph, he becomes the pledge or offers himself or is willing to offer himself as a pledge and go into, into prison in the place of his, of his brother Benjamin. So the third thread that we're going to weave before I kind of try and <laughs> try and recreate that coat. I don't know if I'm going to recreate the coat, but is is another another word which is fascinating, which is that v'yama'ain. And he refused. Jacob refused. He refused to be comforted once he was faced with that possible reality even though some of the commentaries suggest that he actually knew deep down that Joseph was still alive but he refuses to be comforted that is also doubled up in this Parsha that word and it's doubled up with Joseph when Joseph has you know meanwhile <laughs> meanwhile Joseph has been sold into slavery in Egypt and uh, the the mistress of the house where he is a slave um, is trying to seduce him and this uh, and it says Joseph refuses her advances and it says he refused he refused her sexual advances 
and uh, and that led of course to her claiming that he tried to uh, rape her and and then he was put into jail and you know the whole cycle of the of the dreams of the baker and the butler that that, that happens where we're, we're, we're left at the end of this um, incredible incredible Parsha but um, that he refused he refused he refused the threads are that according to the Midrash anyway that in that refusing I mean it, there is the, the longest trope mark that we have uh, when we chant that line in the Torah text it has a, a shalshelet on it which shalshelet means a chain and it's it's a it's a very long note um, in the trope that I know it goes shalshelet so and he refused so you couldn't Imagine that in in some ways that's a playful. I don't know if it's playful, but a um, a suggestion that it wasn't easy for him to refuse. He was he was certainly wanting to perform this act, and he had to to resist. He had to work hard not to not to do it. And then there's the the midrash that he's somehow seeing the face of his father Yaakov, and that. Um, Yaakov, when he refuses to be comforted, is perhaps actually his refusing to be comforted because he is somehow connecting to the possibility that Joseph might actually still be alive, in which case I refuse to, to be comforted because I'm not perhaps even mourning or something like that. I'm not necessarily super clear on that, but the, what I am clear about is this: these threads of connection. And they're connected through lineage and they're connected through the stories that we tell and they're connected through the relationships that we have but the fact that you have these father-son dynamics and you have these brother dynamics and you have the the kind of accusation and the the sense of responsibility and culpability and the willingness to to, to be our own pledges and to accept responsibility for what we've done and to see that responsibility is a series of the threads that have been woven throughout the story. It's a complicated story. You know, in, in some sense, if we want to take a, a sort of, you know, bird's eye view of this, this is all about fulfilling a prophecy. And how is that prophecy going to be fulfilled? And this complicated unfolding of the story, where we have to get Joseph down to Egypt, you know, and then he has to become in this position of power. And then there has to be a famine in the land and the brothers have to go. And all of this that emerges through the story. But one of the, one of the ways that I think the fabric of the coat, the symbol of that katonet pasim, that, that coat, is that it's like a tapestry. And a tapestry has all of these different threads in it. In order to, to have a complete coat, we have to see the way these threads and this is what's so beautiful about about torah that the way these threads kind of weave into each other and the fact that we have these incredible linguistic clues that connect yehuda and yosef to their father in different ways that connect 
Yehuda to, to Tamar and then the lineage that's going to come through that that act and the twins that are born and the line of King David that's going to emerge from that birth. This idea that this all comes from an ability to see ourselves fully in the story, not to look outside, not, you know, not to, not to just be angry for the situation that I find myself in without seeing my own complicity in that. Like Yehuda, as soon as, as Tamar pleads with him and says, Haker na, these objects, recognize these, these, these objects, there's a, there's a, a way in which the story becomes a, a fuller story and the threads become woven together and that we can perhaps see this coat, this beautiful coat, not just as a, as a terrible tragedy that a, that a father who doted on his, on his young son gives him and creates a, a culture of jealousy, but the, that the coat is, when it's woven in its full picture and its full fabric, is actually how we put the dots together and, and see a much fuller picture of who we are in the context of our own family system and our own culture and our own community and of course the world that we live in. Thank you for listening to A Dash and Drush. We will see you next time.